If you would open your Bibles, we'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. That is 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 51. <clears throat> and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five, five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of the hosts, of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, and it came and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and took thence a stone, and slung it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and smote the Philistine, and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran, and stood upon the Philistine, and took his sword, and drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him, and cut off his head therewith. And the, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Do you ever recall hearing the name Dwight Lyman Moody? You may be more familiar with his more common name, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was an American evangelist. He was a publisher connected uh, with the holiness movement. He founded the Moody Church, the Northfield School in Mount Hermon School in Massachusetts, Moody Bible Institute, and Moody Publishers. Mr. Moody received his encouragement and a lot of his inspiration from a man named Henry Varley. Mr. Varley was a British revivalist who befriended the young American in Dublin. Uh, and in 1873, Mr. Moody asked him to recount words they had spoken a year earlier, just before Mr. Moody returned to the United States. Now, those words in that conversation has been preserved in the book by Paul Garrick called Crucial Experiences in the Life of D.L. Moody. Now, during that afternoon... Mr. Moody asked Mr. Varney if he remembered what he told him during that uh, conversation. And he said, well, I remember vividly the, the interview, but I don't specifically remember any particular words. And then Mr. Moody asked him, he said, don't you remember saying to me 
Moody, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Now those words inspired Moody to consecrate himself to God, though he failed in his attempt. After all, he established a church in his own name. He participated with many other man-made religions. He taught false doctrines throughout the world, and he never did consecrate himself to God. And on top of that, I disagree with the statement that Mr. Varley made, because there is a book that holds within its pages countless men and women who have consecrated themselves to God and gave themselves for the cause of God and for the cause of His Son. But the statement that Mr. Varley made has within it something from which we can learn. It has within it a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves. How do I know God can use me? And that's the title of the sermon this morning. How do I know God can use me? Now I believe the very young man David in the account just read for us is a perfect example of that question being asked and that question being answered. And I think if we follow that example, we can consecrate ourselves to God and God will be able to use us. And as we study the account of David killing the giant Goliath, we can learn how to be used by God. And maybe while we're doing that, we'll look at this account perhaps in a little different way than normally we would look at it. And I want us to begin with this idea. This is our first point. How can God use me or how can I know God can use me? God uses common people. He uses common people. Now, God can use any person. He can use any nation, and He's done that throughout His history. He's used heathen nations to fulfill His purpose and to carry out plans that He has. But if we're talking about within God's plan to carry out what He wants to be carried out in the way He wants it to be carried out by people who want to do what He says, God uses common people. People who view themselves as common. We might just simply call them ordinary. Ordinary people. David's own family looked at him as simply someone who was ordinary, didn't they? We recall when Saul had finally displeased God to the point where he would remove the kingdom from his hand, 1 Samuel chapter 15. When Samuel stood before King Saul, he said, when you, when you were little in your own sight, didn't God make you the head of the twelve tribes of Israel? See, at that point, Saul viewed himself as ordinary. He was just a common person. He was ordinary. And David viewed himself as ordinary. In fact, David's whole family viewed himself as, viewed him as ordinary. We get over to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel and we recall the account of Samuel going to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king and he asked Jesse to show him his sons and when he first saw Eliab, he said, certainly this is the man who God would choose to be king. He was a good looking young man. He was tall. He was strong. He must have been very muscular looking and he stuck out in the mind or in the eye of Samuel and Samuel said, this must be the man. Of course, it wasn't the man. Eliab was not to be the one chosen to be the new king over Israel. And when God rejected Eliab, he told Samuel something. Notice 1 Samuel 16, 7. 
He said, look not on his countenance or his height or his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord saith not as man saith, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. David was just a common, ordinary person. He didn't view himself as as anything that was amazing or anything out of the ordinary. And because of that, that hindered Samuel's mission because Samuel wasn't looking for common or ordinary, was he? He was looking for something that was extraordinary in his mind. And when he saw Eliab and, and probably some of the other sons, he thought, this is the one. Even David's father. You recall Samuel asked him, do you have any more sons? He said, well, yeah, I do. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But he's out there just a youth. He's out watching the sheep. Samuel said, bring him to me. And God looks on the hearts of people, not on the outside appearance. But we still see that happening in today's world. People look on something that seems very common, something that seems very ordinary, and they miss the treasures that are hidden beneath what they have perceived. Paul talked about that. Paul described the way the world understood God's wisdom. He told those in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31, that the world looked at God's wisdom as foolishness. But God would use His perceived foolishness by the world to save the world. It's the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, 16. But have you ever considered why God uses common or ordinary people? Why is it that God can't use necessarily, or I guess can't's not the word, very seldom is able to use people who are extraordinary? God can never use someone who's extraordinary in their own sight, though, can He? Everyone who is faithful to God is extraordinary. So, why is it that God uses common, ordinary people. People like Moses. People like Naaman's servant, the young girl. People like those twelve apostles who were ignorant of learning. The original ones anyway. Why does he use people like that? Because God receives the glory when people like that are used. In the case of of D.L. Moody, a person who was part of the holiness movement, did he offer glory to God? No, he, he founded a church in his own name. He wasn't offering glory to God. He was offering glory to D.L. Moody. God can't use a person like that. God can't use someone who isn't consecrated or separated for his use. When a person begins to think more highly of himself than he ought to, Romans 12 verse 3, God can't use that person. He can't use him for his purposes. He can never use a person like that, but he can always use someone who places God on a higher plane. How do I know God can use me? Because God uses common, ordinary people, and God uses those who are obedient. The common person is ordinary that we see who God has used, and he is obedient. David was a common, ordinary person, not someone who stuck out, at least in the mind of of Samuel or the minds of his family. But he was obedient. Do you recall how David came to even be in the position where he could take on the giant Goliath? 
He was being obedient to his father, wasn't he? His father said, take some barley down to your brothers and take these ten loaves to the captain and go check and see how they're doing. And so in his obedience to his father, 1 Samuel 17, 17 through 21, he happened to be at the camp where the battle was about to take place. Common, ordinary people and obedient people are needed to, to perform the thankless tasks that need to be performed, right? Not every task is a high-profile task. Not every, every job receives, the person who does every job receives a pat on the back. And, and people like David, though, he wasn't looking for a pat on the back, was he? Moses wasn't looking for a pat on the back. The servant girl wasn't looking for a pat on the back. The twelve apostles did not seek a pat on the back. Common, ordinary people do the thankless jobs and they do it to the glory of God. The psalmist declared, Psalm 84.10, For a day in thy court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. The psalmist would rather do the mundane tasks of serving in the temple, being the doorman, opening the door, closing the door, than being in a high-profile position in the wickedness and sin of the world. During Jesus' ministry, we see a lot of times when He asked people to do the mundane and the ordinary tasks, right? They were just simple, ordinary people, but they needed to be obedient. When Christ was going to enter into Jerusalem in the triumphant entry, He needed a, a, a donkey and a colt to enter in on because that was what the prophecy said He would do. So He sent the apostles. Sent two of them. They went and got a a donkey and her coat and brought her back. You know, that wasn't a high-profile task, was it? That was just something that needed to be done. Arrangements needed to be made for the supper in the upper room. That wasn't a high-profile task. It was just something that needed to be done. Someone needed to fill the basin with water. Someone needed to have some towels to be provided there so people could wash their feet. And, of course, Jesus ended up being the one who did all those things. He washed the feet of the apostles. He did that thankless task that no one patted you on the back for. No one talks about the slave who washes the feet of someone, do they? But God uses ordinary, common, and obedient to people. uh, people. To be someone God can use, a person ought to be common in their own sight, right? Not someone who who has a big ego, not someone who thinks more highly of himself than he ought to, someone who sees himself as, as sees himself as small in his own sight and, and sees God as something extraordinary. That's what God expects. Someone who is obedient to God, even in the small things, is someone who God can use. How do I know God can use me? Because I'm common but I can also know that God can use me because I am consecrated. That's our second point. God uses the person who has a relationship with Him. We must have a relationship with God before we can be of use to Him. In other words, we must be related to God. Now, we understand exactly how that happens. And Paul reminded the Galatians of this very important fact. Galatians 3, beginning with verse 26. 
Paul reminded them, saying, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. They were Christians. The letter was written to the churches at Galatia. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How can a man stand in front of another man and say, No one has ever been consecrated wholly to God. How can that happen? When we learn exactly how we're consecrated to God. We obey the gospel, we're baptized into Christ, and we are set aside and separated for His use. That is being consecrated. God can use that person. But we have to be consecrated. David demonstrated that he had that type of a relationship with God. He was a child of God. He was part of the children of Israel. He was related to God in that sense. And that's what God expects. Notice some of the things that, that David expressed when he went down to the camp. He was angry to begin with, wasn't he? Number one, he was angry when he heard the news. You recall what he said, this uncircumcised Philistines coming out here and being disrespectful to the God of Israel and no one's doing anything? His brother said something to him and he said, I know why you're down here, you just want to watch the battle. He said, is there not a cause for what I said? He was upset, he was angry, wasn't he? He had a relationship with God and it offended him that someone would offend God. We we learn about when he was speaking to to Saul, he said, "I I defeated the lion, I defeated the bear because God gave me the power to do that and he gave all credit to God. He said, I grabbed the lion by his beard and he said, I took the lamb out of his mouth. Now, think about that. That's a rough job, isn't it? But he gave all credit to God. Can you imagine someone wrestling a lion and killing a lion and then not taking credit for doing that because of the maybe the great strength that they had? David didn't, did he? He told Goliath, verses 45 through 57... He said, God's the source of the victory He's about to give me when I feed your carcass to the birds of the air. See, he had a relationship with God. And and that is revealed to the reader. When we see this interaction between David and those people around him, before God can use any of us to further the cause of Christ, we have to have a relationship with Him. We have to be related to Him. And that only happens through obedience to the gospel. Through being added to the Lord's church through the necessary steps. We have to be able to understand. We have to be able to talk to people about that. How can God use someone? Well, you have to be consecrated to Him. You have to be related to Him. How do do I do that? Well, we learn from His message. Paul said that the wisdom of God is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1.16, right? So I need to hear what God says. God will tell us every single time what He expects and how to carry out what He wants us to do. Believe what He said. We get to to God through Christ. That's what Jesus said, John 14.6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. So I have to listen to His message. I have to understand that. I have to believe He is who He said He was, right? 
So uh, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. We have to have faith or we can't believe God. Well, faith in what? That Jesus is who He said He was, John 8 24. I have to be willing to look at the man Jesus in His body of work and the things that happened in His life that's preserved for us. And I have to want to pattern my life after Him. I have to want to be consecrated. How do I have faith? I want to, I need to want it first. Repenting of all past sins. Turning my life around. How can God use me? By obeying the gospel plan of salvation. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. And allowing people to hear me say that. And living like that in front of people. And when I'm not in front of people. Being baptized in water for the remission of sins. Acts 2.38 And then living a faithful life. Have you ever noticed or have you ever known someone who had family members or maybe they were the family member who was estranged from the rest of the family. Have you ever seen that? you ever had someone who a, a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or an uncle or an aunt or somebody just they never showed up because there was a problem? That's probably something similar to that in every family in some way. Well, you don't want, you can't be in a estranged relation to God and and be used by God. You have to, if we find ourselves in a position where we're outside of God's grace and we're no longer in His presence, we need to fix that, right? We need to come back to Him. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We have to be related to God. We have to be consecrated to God. And when we step outside the light, we need to come back to Him through repentance and confession. Prayer. Faithful living, right? That's what God expects. We call that the second law of pardon. God can use the person who is consecrated to Him, the person who is related to Him, and the person who relies on Him. We have to rely on Him. We have to recognize He is the source of our abilities. David voiced his reliance on God, didn't he? Verses 37 through 47. He didn't fear Goliath. You, didn't, you don't see him sneaking out onto the battlefield trying to get into a, a place where, where he can ambush the giant. He ran out to meet him. He said, God is with me. I'm in the right relationship with God and He will carry me through. He relied on God. God can use someone like that. But you know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean that David simply stepped out onto the battlefield and waited for Goliath to drop dead right in front of him. Didn't he have to go find some smooth stones? Didn't he have to put them in his pouch? Didn't he have a conversation with the giant? Didn't he take one of those smooth stones out and hit him in the forehead? And then when he fell down, he went over and cut his head off with his own sword? David had to do some things, didn't he? He didn't just go out there and wait on Goliath to die in front of him. Just simply because he relied on God. Paul described his reliance on God. He said, 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 6, he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now notice what he said. He said, I have fought a good fight. He said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. 
And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. Was Paul taking something away from God when he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Was he taking something away from God? In some way, was he saying he wasn't relying on God? No, he said, because I fought a good fight, because I kept my faith, because I finished my course, God will give me the crown of life that He promised to give me. And Paul couldn't receive that from anyone else. He relied on God. Like David, if Paul had simply said, I believed the Lord when He met me on the road to Damascus. I believed He was who He said He was. I saw where I'd made a bunch of mistakes in my life. And if He had just simply turned around and went back home, God couldn't have used Him because He wasn't relying on God. He wouldn't have been in a relationship with God. Those are the reasons God could use Paul. Those are the reasons God could use David. And those are the reasons God can use any of us. How do I know God can use me? Because I'm common. Because I'm consecrated. And finally, this is our last point, because I'm committed. God can use the person who is committed. David is the epitome of being committed to God. He overcame all the obstacles, didn't he? Look look through his life. He overcame all of them. And there were a lot of them. A lot of those obstacles he brought on himself, but he overcame them. Let's just look for a moment at this obstacle that stood in front of a young David. Probably about 16 to 18 years old. He faced a man who was almost 10 feet tall. I thought about coming in here and putting up something, but it's not tall enough right here where I'm standing. Maybe just barely. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. He was so big that his protective coat weighed 156 pounds. The weight of probably the average man. The length of his spear that he held in his hand was somewhere between 15 feet and 26 feet long. Imagine that. The head... Of the spear weighed 17 pounds. Imagine that. That staff was two and a half inches across. Two and a half inches. That's huge, isn't it? He had to have some big hands. His sword weighed 15 pounds. The average sword weighs two and a half to four and a half pounds. That's the obstacle that was standing in front of David, but he was committed. He was going to overcome that obstacle, and he did. And he did it to bring honor and glory to God. You notice what David didn't do? He didn't concentrate on the problem. He concentrated on the problem solver. Now let's think about that. We're all going to face problems, aren't we? We don't ignore the problem. We address the problem. But we don't continually concentrate on that problem. We concentrate on the problem solver. What if David had gone out in front of Goliath and and once he got out there, you know, he felt really good. He'd been talking in, in the camp. But there was a good distance between him and Goliath. 
He was surrounded by a whole army of people. And he, and what if he had gotten out there and he began to look up at that giant? He began to see how big and strong he was. And then all of a sudden, all he thought about was, he's almost 10 feet tall. His armor weighs 156 pounds. His, the beam of his spear is longer than most of the homes which people live in. It weighs 15 pounds. Look at that sword. It was probably about five feet long. What if he had just concentrated? You know what would have happened to David? The same thing that happened to Peter when he stepped out on the water. And instead of looking at the problem solver, he began to listen to the wind. He began to watch the the waves. And then he became afraid and he began to sink. David didn't do any of that. He walked right through those obstacles and he destroyed Goliath. We do not have recorded for us one single person in that camp who encouraged David to go out and kill that giant and said, you can do it. Everybody that's recorded anyway said, you can't do it. You can't do it. His brother said, you're just here to watch the battle. You're just arrogant. King Saul said, you're just a youth. He's a warrior from his youth. You can't beat him. No one encouraged David. Many questioned his motives, right? You know, the truth of the matter is when we commit ourselves to God, we're going to face obstacles. In fact, Paul said, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God was able to use David because he overcame obstacles, but there's something else that he did. He was committed in that he didn't take other opportunities instead of what God was offering. David had every opportunity to walk away and return to the sheepfold, didn't he? If he had listened to the first person, he would have gone home. If he had listened to the second person, he would have gone home. If he had listened to the third person and the fourth person, all the way up to the king of Israel, he would have gone to the house and we don't know what would have happened. But that's not what he did. He did not take those opportunities. He had his priorities in order. And he took the opportunity God delivered to him and blessed him with. And he took that opportunity and did it. And that's the exact same mindset the Christian better have if he or she plans on finishing their courses like Paul did. In every avenue of life, The faithful Christian always, without fail, puts God first. That means He comes before our jobs, He comes before our hobbies, He comes before our entertainment, and He comes before our families. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How do I know God can use me? Do I allow work to take precedence over God? Do I allow my entertainment to take precedence over God? Do I allow my hobbies to take precedence over God? Do I allow my family to take precedence over God? If I answer yes to any of those questions, God cannot use me. But if I put God first, I'll love my family like God wants me to. I'll enjoy the things God has provided in this world. I will work hard at my job and God will bless me for it. See, 
putting God first doesn't mean that we don't love our families, that we don't work hard, or that we don't enjoy things in this life. That's not at all what that means. But because we love God, all of those things are enhanced in our lives. David is just one example of a person who God was able to use. We read about a lot of people who consecrated themselves to God and who did the things that God wanted them to do. The world's witnessed that. We've witnessed it. We can look around us and see people who have done that. That's why I disagree with Mr. Varney. That's why I disagree with Mr. Moody. There are a lot of people in the world who have consecrated themselves to God, and there are a lot of people in the world who we have seen do great things on behalf of God. We read about Jesus, the Christ, a man who gave himself for the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians 3, verse 11. We read about the apostles. We read about those who fled Israel because of the great persecution and they went everywhere preaching the Word, Acts 8, verse 4. We see those in our own lives who have dedicated themselves to God and those who we follow as example, Philippians 3, verse 17. And because of that, we can know whether God can use us or not. The only question then that remains, right? If we know whether or not God can use us, the only question is, am I willing to be used for God? But before we can be used, we must be a Christian. We talked about how to do that, the plan of salvation. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. If I've done those things and I've become unfaithful, I need to come back to God. We do that through repentance and confession of sin, prayer to God, and faithful living. May each of us answer that question this morning and respond in the correct way as we stand and as we sing.